Well, good morning, Christ Hold Fast. This is Pastor Eric. I'm glad to be back here with you again. As we uh, we continue our time in First Peter, we're still in chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 12 today. Uh, one note before I get going here, I do have uh, a little bit of a sore throat today. And, um, you know, my beloved friend and co-pastor, Bruce Hillman, also fellow devotional uh, talker, uh, teller on uh, Wednesdays or Thursdays, excuse me. Uh, you know, he's a big fan of tea. I'm a big fan of coffee. I don't drink tea. But he does have, he does, he's pretty convinced that whenever any ailment happens to me, that he has a tea that will fix it. And so in his generosity yesterday, he offered a certain kind of tea to help me with my sore throat. And of course, uh, I just can't do that. And so I nicely declined his offer of tea and instead stuck with my nice cup of coffee. But thank you, Bruce, for the kindness and the charity at least you offered. All right, with that, hopefully my sore throat won't get in the way too much today. We've, um, we've been discussing in this chapter what God's church is built into, built upon, you know, and uh, last week we saw it's being built into this, uh, it, the temple, royal priesthood um, of God. It has this, uh, it's holy, it's a, uh, and uh, so it's got this real, and it's built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, built into this spiritual house, a holy nation. And then we're told uh, in verse 5 that, that uh, we begin to hear kind of why we're being built into that. What is God doing uh, through this new building of the church? And the first thing we're told is that he's building us uh, up because he, uh, to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. That's, you can find that in verse 5. Now, we're not going to cover, we covered most of that, but I just want to start off there. Uh, just as the Old Testament priest was to bring animals for sacrifice, we too are called to bring spiritual sacrifices to God. Now, what is a spiritual sacrifice? Well, um, <clears throat> good morning, Danielle. Uh, you have, first of all, Romans 12.1 uses similar language. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, very, very important, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So part of spiritual sacrifice is actually offering your physical body to the Lord. To uh, You're offering yourself, your whole being. Again, Hebrews 13.15 says, through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So to offer spiritual sacrifice is also to be doing something with one's mouth, to be singing in praise and to be uh, talking about the goodness of God. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 uh, verse 31, Paul sort of sums up the whole deal about what the Christian life is, is kind of to look like when he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all things to the glory of God. That's, now, that sounds, that's great. That sounds, uh, all right, that's, that's the model. Everything we do is sort of to be seen as a, as a way of offering our lives to God, on behalf of our neighbor, very, very, very important 
that we make that connection. If we divorce our lives being offered to God, offered a service to God from serving our neighbor, that can be very, very dangerous. And so we always have to make, we have to remember that, that both of them go together. Um, so, so this is the, the first thing. And then he goes on a little bit later uh, in verse uh, 8 or verse, uh, excuse me, verses 9 and 10 to tell us that uh, another way of offering the spiritual sacrifices is to, quote, proclaim his excellencies. Peter says we're being built up to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, the, the word proclaim in Greek could be uh, translated to announce, uh, to publish abroad. The, the idea that is being put forward is that this is uh, something that we are telling as many people as we possibly can about. And what are we telling them? We are not telling them about ourselves. We are not telling them even about um, <clears throat> some great things that are happening over here, over there, over this. But we are telling them a specific thing. We are commissioned to tell them the excellencies about the excellencies of God. And why is that? Because he has brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So as priests, we declare to the world around us how great God is. You know, I mean, I've, I, I, you, I think most of you know I'm a church planter, and I've spent the last two and a half years uh, getting a church up and running in New York City. And we're there. We're, <laughs> we do exist. Uh, but it has been, uh, you know, a, a roller coaster at times. And part of the reason it's been a roller coaster is because I would spend my days out in the city, uh, I mean, every day almost, um, meeting strangers in cafes and trying to tell them about the excellencies of God. Now, uh, I would not just go up cold turkey and just start saying, hey, you know, but I would, that was the goal, was to, was to get there with people, to talk about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on their behalf. And one of the things that, uh, that I found in talking to people is that many of them had grown up in, in church settings, Many had grown up in religion. Part of actually the appeal of New York for many was that they didn't have to feel the small town pressure of not having uh, to go to church. You know, you could just, no one cares. You know, you can go to brunch on Sunday morning at 1130 and that's more socially acceptable <laughs> in many cases. Um, but, but one of the things I found is even if people have been to church their whole life, when I would start proclaiming the excellencies of God who takes people out of darkness into light based solely on his grace alone, by faith alone, in the Christ alone who lived, died, and rose again for the forgiveness of their sins, to impute them with righteousness even though they're totally unrighteous. When you just deliver that good news of what God has done, what I found is most people would say, I've never heard that I've never heard that the church has this terrible problem of proclaiming a thousand other things and getting involved in the business of a thousand other things 
and talking about a thousand other things on Sunday morning from the pulpit. But Peter says to us, no, no. This is what you need to proclaim. Not, not daring to be Daniel diet tips. Ah, no, no, no. You're going to proclaim the excellencies of him who converts people from darkness into light. That's your message. That's the announcement. That's preaching. That is the message of Christianity. And you'll be shocked if you do this. If you proclaim just what God has done, you'll be shocked how often you will come across people that will say the same thing to you. I've never heard that. I've, I didn't know. I've been in church my whole life and I've never heard that. All right, so that was a little ranty. I'm sorry. Um, let me move on. So right after that, in verse 11 and 12, um, he sort of connects, and this is always the case, he connects our life, lifestyle, with our words. And so he says this, Beloved, I urge you, verse 11 and 12, as sojourners and exiles. That, that's, I just take note of those words. This, this world is not our home. We are sojourners and exiles while we live here. As such... Peter calls us to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Quick note, if it was possible for the believer to be perfected in this life, this verse would make no sense. But in fact, it is not possible for the believer to be perfected in this life because there is an inner war going on. Paul talks about this in Galatians, uh, Romans 7, Galatians 5, Romans 7, you can look it up. What I want to do, I don't do. What I do, I don't want to do, etc. This is the war that's going on that Peter is talking about internally for us. He says, but, but this is the war you're waging as sojourners. Don't give in to the passions of the flesh because that's not who you are anymore. Instead, keep your conduct among the Gentiles. And that word there, Gentile, in this context just means like outsiders, non-Christians. Non keep it honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, there was many examples of this, and I think you get what he's saying. He's just simply saying, let, you know, try to be so good that if people slander you, the world around will go, that doesn't make any sense. Even the world that might not be prone to liking uh, Christian teaching might go, yeah, you're being ridiculous. Like this person's actually a good person. You know, this person's actually a nice guy, you know, try your best to be that so that even people that don't believe would, would honor you. That's the way Peter uh, talks about it. Now, a good example of this, I think last week happened, um, at least partially, there was um, a ridiculous, you know, hit piece in the New Yorker um, about Chick-fil-A. I'm sure many of you saw it. It just blew up on every social media feed everywhere. Uh, there was a great response, by the way, by Stephen Carter. Um, I forget which magazine it was in yesterday. That, if I mean, just a wonderful response to that article. But but in the article, of course, part of it is, you know, the, the, the guy who's writing it is saying Chick-fil-A is infiltrating the, you know, New York City with its traditional traditionalist Christian values and um, and what happened as a result is the backlash against it wasn't just from Christians, you know, the backlash against it was from everybody. I mean, everybody who, I mean, basically <laughs> everyone who read the article was like, this is ridiculous. Like, uh, 
the fact is like Chick-fil-A is incredibly kind. They're, they do a lot of good for the community. And so you had people that are non-Christians sticking up for Chick-fil-A as a result. Um, now, I love me some Chick-fil-A just as a matter of, I, I mean, I, their, their Christianity uh, is secondary to me. I just want some chicken in my mouth uh, from there. But, uh, but I love the fact that because they have done such honorable service and are seen as an honorable business, that people re sort of responded harshly to that article, or or just if not harshly, just said, "No, this you're what you're beyond the pale here." So, so anyhow, uh, but but our conduct contributes to um, our ability to proclaim the message of Christ. Now, here's the thing: your your first instinct then is to go, "Well, clearly people have seen that I'm not <laughs> always conducting myself in an honorable way." My family's seen me, uh, you know, sin. My friends have seen me sin. And sometimes, like, really in messed up ways. I mean, people know I'm not uh, this perfect person. Good. Because here's, here's part of what it means to proclaim his excellencies. Part of what it means to, be, to live, uh, to conduct yourselves with honor is to be honest. And so you don't have to go out and pretend that you're somebody you're not. Yeah, you do your best to be, to be a nice person and to be a good neighbor. But if you mess up, don't try and pretend like you didn't. That's way worse. Instead, just say, you know, I'm, that's why I need a Savior. That's why it's so good that Jesus died for me. Because I still, I still mess up way too much and I wish I didn't. Uh, and I, I'm trying, you know, I'm trying, but I... I know I'm still, I still got things that need to be uh, dealt with. And, you know, people will appreciate that a whole lot more than any sort of fake uh, piety. Uh, fake piety is the worst, the worst. Um, real piety is being honest enough to say, yeah, like, God's still working on me. I still, I got problems still. You know, Luther, I think a, a man with... Uh, with plenty of sins, and I'll close this up right now, and plenty of flaws, um, you know, pre and post conversion, you know, and I use that term for him because there was this very marked time where it was, he saw salvation by grace through faith alone, you know. Uh, nonetheless, he, I mean, rested in the gospel, and God used him through his proclamation uh, to change the world at the time, through his preaching and his writing, and yet, uh, he, you know, some of his most effective writing was in personal letters to friends who had contacted him struggling with their own feelings of despair over their sin, not quite sure if they were worthy for the office of pastor when they were continuing to struggle in various areas of their life. And one of his famous responses to a friend who was deeply depressed over his sin was this, quote, Learn to know Christ in him crucified. Learn to sing to him and say, Lord Jesus, you are my righteousness. I am your sin. You have taken upon yourself what is mine and given me what is yours. You became what you were not so that I might become what I was not. That is proclaiming his excellencies, the gospel of the great exchange of our Lord Jesus Christ.
Incidentally, I am almost certainly going to find somebody to use these words as lyrics to a song coming soon. It just has to happen. They're too good not to put to music. And Luther even said, you got to sing it. So, yeah, we're going to sing it. I'm going to figure it out. I'll let you know when we release it. All right, that's it. I hope you're encouraged. Go out and proclaim his goodness and what he's done for you to the world around you. They need to hear it. They haven't heard it. I, I promise you they haven't heard it as much as you think they have. Go out and share it and let God do his work through your lips. God bless. Have a great week.